Welcome to Season 1, Episode 1 of Family Planning for Docs, Thriving or Surviving. This podcast is an extension of our platform at www.familyplanningfordocs.com, a website created for Canadian medical trainees to highlight useful information about family planning in a medical career. Our group has a mission to inform medical trainees about their options regarding family planning while navigating training, career, and personal life. Our research has demonstrated that personal stories are highly impactful, and we hope to provide access to a diverse number of stories to current trainees. On our podcast, we hope to capture the stories of medical professionals who have navigated the training process and a medical career while planning parenthood, parenting, and the support along the way. In this episode, we have Dr. Andrea Simpson, an OBGYN at St. Michael's Hospital and an assistant professor at the University of Toronto. We are thrilled to have you on our podcast today. Thank you on behalf of our entire team for taking the time to share your story here. Thanks so much, Rada. I'm going to start with the first question today. Can you tell us a little bit about your job? What does a day in the life of an OBGYN look like? Sure. So I'm an academic obstetrician gynecologist and minimally invasive gynecologic surgeon at uh, St. Michael's Hospital in U of T. And I'm also a clinician investigator, um, which means that about 50% of my time is devoted to research. Um, I have a very busy practice. Um, Life as an OBGYN is is very busy. Um, So a typical week, I would spend a day or two in clinic, a day in the operating room, and then a day on call. And then the rest of my time would be spent um, uh, on research activities. Sounds like it's a busy schedule there. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about how many years of training it took you to get to where you are now? For sure. So I um, did my undergraduate degree at uh, Western University, and then I came to University of Toronto for medical school. Um, medical school was four years, um, followed by a five-year residency in OBGYN, and then two years of fellowship training. Um, when I was doing my fellowship training, I concurrently completed a thesis-based master's degree. Um, and I also had my first child um, during fellowship and master's. The goal of the podcast is to chat with you and others um, about how you fit family planning within a medical career. If you feel comfortable answering, um, what inspired you to start a family and um, have children? Yeah, so I think I always plan to have children. Um, for myself, I didn't feel prepared in residency. I didn't feel quite ready just from a um, mm-hmm. you know personal preparedness standpoint. Um, I have been with my husband uh, actually since undergraduate. Um, And we got married when I was a second year resident. Um, I think because I was in the field of obstetrics and gynecology, I was acutely aware of issues um, related to age related fertility decline. So I knew I didn't want to delay too long, but I also um, was motivated to finish um, my residency um, uh, sort of in line with my peers that I had started residency with. So completed after five years. And then um, early in fellowship, we decided to pursue family planning. Um, so I, I think that I, I would say like it was something that I always wanted to do, always planned to do. Um, but I found it difficult to understand how it would fit into residency. And, and from a personal perspective, mm-hmm point, um, I I decided to start my family after residency. Okay, so it sounds like um, just for your personal journey, residency wasn't, I guess, 
the suitable time, but you decided to have kids in during your fellowship. Were there any challenges that you experienced um, while you're planning parenthood? Yeah, so um, I found fellowship to be a really good time to have um, my first child just from a um, you know, you, you don't have your practice yet. You don't have to look for locum coverage and so forth. Um, I was a clinical fellow, not a Royal College fellow uh, in minimally invasive surgery. So um, there are limited supports um, available for fellow clinical fellows in order to, um, you know, support parental leave. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, unlike residents who are under PARO, there's no um, a protected parental leave time as a clinical fellow. Um, I was in the fellowship at St. Michael's hospital. And of course, all of my, um, uh, fellowship director and colleagues were very supportive of family planning. They all, um, have children as well, which I think is very unique, mm-hmm. among, um, surgical training programs. Um, so they were very supportive of me taking time off. Um, mm-hmm. and as I mentioned, you know, not having to worry about locum coverage because I didn't have my own practice yet. And then returning to the fellowship so that I had a few more years of training before ultimately starting my own practice. So I think those were the um, sort of favorable aspects about having my first child when I was a fellow. Um, In terms of challenges, um, finances are a huge challenge. Um, It's a, you know, a time of life where you're just sort of coming out of all of your acquired debt from um, training. Um, and I, uh, my, my husband and I both, um, uh, fully paid for our own education. So this was a, obviously, um, uh, a financial, uh, financially challenging time for us before I was in practice. Mm-hmm. Um, for that reason, with my first child, we had her in daycare. Um, and she went to daycare when she was five months old. Um, when I, you know, returned uh, to help with the transition, when I returned to my fellowship training, when she was six months, um, mm-hmm. daycare hours can be quite restrictive for physicians. Um, even with daycares, like our daycare um, pickup was strictly by 6 p.m. And there were, um, you know, financial penalty penalties for being late. So uh, I actually remember one um, situation when I was pregnant with my son. So I, uh, my daughter, I had in fellowship, my son, I had my first year of practice. And my daughter was still in daycare when I was pregnant with my son. And mm-hmm. there was a day that I was kind of pressing to get to the daycare on time. I was 36 weeks pregnant and I was sprinting down the sidewalk and oh my um, a man pulled up next to me and said, I'm also trying to get there on time. Like, did you want me to give you a lift? Because I think he felt so bad for me. So I jumped in the car with mm-hmm. him and as we were driving, realized that we were not going to the same place. And oh, um, it's kind of a funny story in retrospect because um, I essentially got into the car with a stranger because I was so um, wow. panicked about getting to daycare on time. But anyways, all ended well. I think, uh, you know, now when I had my son, we transitioned to having a full-time caregiver um, and that has made a huge difference in terms of supporting um, kind of my busy OBGYN um, uh, job and everything and ensuring that we have um, reliable uh, childcare. I'm just going to follow up on some of the support systems that you have in place. I know you talked a little bit about having access to a caregiver. Can you tell me more about that or any other supports you found helpful as a busy OBGYN? Yeah, so having a caregiver was like, I think the the single thing that my husband and I did that we felt was the most um, uh, helpful in um, mm. supporting like our, our careers and our, our children. Um, I also do have um, 
uh, a very supportive spouse. So I think that has also been essential, like, um, you know, certainly uh, an important aspect when you choose your spouse to make sure that you have someone who um, is, uh, you know, understands that it's, you know, taking on 50% of the child rearing responsibilities. Um, And that was something that we certainly discussed, like well before we, um, we, we got married. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are probably the two biggest things we've made other adjustments. I think a lot of it, um, sort of happened during the pandemic as well, where I made some adjustment to my working hours just to suit, um, the family needs a little bit better. So, um, you know, things like uh, starting clinic a little bit later so that my husband and I can commute into work together, um, and, and spend time with our kids in the morning. So there's been smaller things that we've done to help accommodate everything, um, but uh, I would say those, those are probably the big ones. It sounds like there's a lot of adapting that kind of is at play. There's different, not necessarily compromises, but um, things that you have to change about your schedule that um, make a difference. Absolutely. And I think that it's, it's naive to think that you can, you know, not make these changes like um, Mm -hmm. children um, is a huge, it's the biggest life change that anyone regardless of your profession ever experiences um and i think that it's um you know as as a practicing physician you do have some flexibility in in enabling you to um to incorporate those changes Mm -hmm. were there any mentors or other resources that were accessible to you when you were thinking about you know how to fit a family with your career choices yeah so I think um, I did have very good mentors in my field, and I think that I'm very lucky for that. Um, I don't think the same was true for physicians who um, went into practice 10, 20 years ahead of me. Um, So Mm -hmm. that was very fortunate from that standpoint. Um, Where I found their advice was most helpful was in navigating issues around childcare and um, understanding the benefits of having a full-time caregiver. Um, Also, how others have incorporated um, research and clinical practice in kind of, you know, bringing all those things together in the context of also having children. Um, so I, mm-hmm. I did have some excellent mentors along the way to really help um, uh, me understand how to navigate and set up my, my practice and, and, uh, and everything. I'm glad to hear that you had those um, resources and people available to you. Um, I definitely know mentorship in other arenas of medicine can be so helpful. So um, it's nice to hear that there is that help out there. Absolutely. You mentioned that you have two children, right? A daughter and a son. Can you tell me how old they are? Um, So right now my daughter is five and a half and my son is four. Were there any unexpected challenges of being a parent um, to your son and daughter that you faced? I think one of the biggest challenges, um, and I think this is probably true for all parents, is um, especially when they're really young, um, adapting to their ever-changing needs. And one of those things being, you know, making sure that they're sleeping through the night, especially Mm -hmm. when um, physicians do tend to take shorter mat leaves and and go back um, uh, to work fairly early. So I think that that was like a particularly unexpected challenge. Um, my first child did um, have some difficulties with colic um, and uh, that, you know, led to a, um, a pretty challenging and short uh, parental leave. Um, when I 
was heading back to work, I felt like she had just sort of adapted, you know, started to adapt a little bit more to sleeping through the night and so forth. Um, and I think, um, because she was so young, one of the other challenges was maintaining breastfeeding when I went back to work. Um, and she actually um, revolted a little bit and, uh, would sort of refuse to eat all day at daycare. And then when I would come home, be up all night, um, wanting to breastfeed. So I think those initial, um, challenges, uh, just with the transition back to work can be really tough. Um, mm -hmm. again, I was, you know, did have very supportive, um, colleagues so that it did make it possible for me to, um, uh, continue to pump and breastfeed even after I went back to work. Mm -hmm. Um, I found it much harder with my son when I went back and, um, what was no longer, in, you know, a trainee, I was a, a practicing physician. Um, I actually mm -hmm. breastfed for far less time with him just because I found it was just, um, so challenging to set aside time at work, um, to pump mm -hmm. and, and so forth. Um, and my parental leave with him was, was similar. It was about seven, I took seven months with him. Um, so I think that, you know, the, the sleeping challenges, especially when you are in a field where you go back to work and you're often working nights and your, your partner is at home with, the, with the, the kids and then also the feeding schedules and things like that. And trying to maintain breastfeeding, trying to do the things that we tell our patients to do, um, right. <laughs> shorter, uh, parental leave. As your kids get older, are there different challenges that you're facing? Obviously, the breastfeeding wouldn't be necessarily an issue anymore. Um, but what other challenges have you sort of faced? Yeah, I, you know, I feel, um, Rada, I'm a little bit at a stage where I kind of don't know what comes next. When they're really young, they don't really have a concept of time. So from that standpoint, like they don't really... Um, you know, kind of push back when you are working overnight, they're kind of getting to a stage now where when I go to, to do overnight call, um, they do, you know, um, say that they would prefer me not to be working overnight. My daughter often says, I wish you were the kind of doctor that didn't work overnight. Um, so I, I, I do think, um, and I'm, you know, excited through these podcasts to learn about physicians at later stages um, with older children, how those needs change, because I do think that it's kind of ever evolving. And um, it's, it, it's something that I think, you know, with every stage, it's sort of a new kind of, you have to kind of um, regroup and figure out how you're going to navigate those challenges. Um, mm -hmm. Currently, I, I think my kids have adapted very well to like understanding, you know, that I'm working overnight, but then I'm going to be home the next day and so forth. Um, and um, one of the things that we really, uh, my partner and I have really had to change since we've had children is just limiting how many nights we are out um, in a given week, because it does like, you know, when you, when you don't have children until you're a little bit older, um, you are your lifestyle has adapted in such a way that you often are out at meetings. And in medicine, I think we do a very bad job of uh, always having meetings that occur at dinner time and so forth. So yeah. um, that's been one of the other challenges that, um, that we face. The pandemic, I think, has also kind of um, influenced this. Um, having more virtual meetings has made it more possible for me to participate in mm -hmm. meetings that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to, um, and so forth side of things what would be the best thing about spending time with your son and daughter when you do get to see them it's just endless joy watching your kids grow and learn and their worlds become bigger and I think that that mm. 
for me um, was the most um, like something that I never had really appreciated before I had children. Um, but as they get older and you watch their minds develop and, um, and they start asking you questions and, um, you know, talking to you about the challenges that they're facing at school and so forth. It's just, it's so rewarding having that relationship with them. That's so beautiful. I love to hear, um, the way that everyone kind of describes that growth, like seeing your child move through the stages, obviously I don't have children yet, um, but it's, it's, it seems to be a common theme so far. So I'm glad to hear that you have that, those experiences with them. Absolutely. We always ask our guests if you had a magic wand somehow and could go back and change something about your life, what would it be and why? Yeah. So I don't know that I would change um, like the timing of having children. I I think that I, um, you know, did put a lot of thought into this when I was a trainee and as I planned my career path. Um, and I'm very glad that I didn't delay any further and had my children when I did. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, the one thing that I wish um, going back that I could change would be um, sometimes in medicine, you're constantly looking for the next stage. I just need to finish medical school, mm-hmm. and start, you know, looking after myself a little bit better instead of studying all the time. I'm just going to finish residency and then I'll, you know, start going back to the gym and incorporating um, wellness activities into my life again. Now I'm just going to get through fellowship. As soon as I have a job, I'm going to do better. Um, so I, I wish that I had come to that realization sooner that you have to change these things now. Every stage um, has its challenges and has its areas of flexibility, and you have to figure out how you're going to make it work for yourself then. So I think um, that would be the biggest thing that I wish I had changed, could change if I were to go back and do it all over again, um, because it only becomes harder to incorporate these self-care things um, as your life becomes fuller. I think I needed to hear that specifically. I'm sure myself and other trainees, even in this moment of time, have this concept of delayed gratification that once we get to the next stage, then we'll go to the gym or eat healthy. Um, But it's comforting to hear that those self-care things should be implemented along the way and you shouldn't wait for them to have an open slot because there might not be an open slot. As you reflect on your own story, are there any pieces of advice that you would give to your younger self, either about the self-care stuff or really anything else? Yeah, no, I think that would be the advice advice I'd give to my younger self. Um, do, do the things now, incorporate those changes into your life. Don't constantly be putting things off, but waiting for a better time to come um, because um, things only get more complicated as you go. And is there any advice that you have for other medical trainees that might be listening to this podcast today? Yes. So I think when it comes to family planning um, and family building, there is no perfect time. Um, Do it when it's right for you. Um, But it does get harder as you get older. And don't just think about the challenges around getting pregnant, because that's only one piece of the whole puzzle or or Mm -hmm. having a child. It's actually more about what the long term game is. How old a parent do you want Mm -hmm. to how many children do you want to have? Um, and how do you want um, that to look in the context of your whole career? Because I think often we focus very much on just the birth and, um, you know, those initial phases, but 
Um, yeah. You're having a child for their whole life and you, and for the rest of your life. So I, I really think that um, thinking about how you want things to look at the end of the day is really going to be important um, advice for trainees. I love that piece of advice. Um, my mom always said growing up that you're not just going to be having a child, that's going to be a person. So I feel like kind of goes along the same lines, looking long term um, and ahead rather than just in this moment right now. In the name of the podcast, I have one final question for you. Andrea, are you thriving or surviving? Rada, it depends on the day. (laughs) (laughs) I would say I have some days where um, it very much feels like everything is thriving, everything's going well. And then I have some days that are quite the opposite. And it um, it can really vary from day to day. Um... So I, I, I can't say one or the other, but um, it's, uh, it's, it's ever evolving. I love this honest response here, Andrea, that it's not just one or the other, and it actually can fluctuate day to day. Um, we just want to give you one more thank you on behalf of the podcast for joining us today. It's really been an absolute pleasure chatting and hearing about your journey, planning parenthood, and also just being a parent. Thanks so much for having me. You can find our guests' contact information in the notes from today's show. This is Rada signing off.